Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. June is almost over, and I really have no idea how that happened because kids here in New England where I live just got out of school, and um, I did want to throw out to Land's End that I see your back-to-school catalog, and I am going to go on record by telling you that it's not appreciated here in Massachusetts since it arrived before students even uh, finish school. So stop that, please. Anyway, uh, later in the show, we are going to be talking about what owning real estate and, and how that might impact the financial aid process for you. So some really helpful information for anybody out there who owns real estate, like a house, but maybe um, other real estate from that. But before we get to that, I am very excited um, to talk a little bit more about what is in store for students in terms of a career who opt to pursue a liberal arts degree? And full disclosure, I was an English major in college. I'm a huge fan of the liberal arts. My son, who is a freshman in high school, um, has some real interests that are generally liberal arts based, and I'm totally fine with him pursuing that in college. But I also can appreciate that a lot of people out there feel like college is really expensive and the liberal arts feels maybe to some, like it might be becoming more superfluous and it doesn't necessarily train anyone for a specific um, career. So rather than just taking my word for it and telling you that it's great, it's wonderful, and it's been very a very important part of my own career, um, I'm excited to welcome two representatives from the College of the Holy Cross, which is right here in Worcester, Mass. Um, Amy Murphy, who's director of the Center for Career Development there, and David Chu, who's director of certificate programs and a pre-business advisor there. Hi, Amy. Hi, David. Hi. Hello. Hi. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And we're, we're going to get into some of the bigger questions around, you know, does a liberal arts education pre- prepare students for um, a professional life? But before we start in on those questions, I would love to hear from each of you um, a little bit more about your specific roles. We shared your titles, but that doesn't necessarily um, tell our listeners exactly what you're doing at Holy Cross. Great. Thank you. So I'm the director of the Center for Career Development at Holy Cross, and essentially what my role is is to lead a team to work with students throughout their four years at Holy Cross to, first and foremost, identify and clarify their career interests and objectives. So really to start with themselves and figure out, what am I good at? What do I enjoy? And then help them explore and understand how do those things connect with the world of work and connect with industry Um, and then provide them with vehicles to not only explore but then connect with employers who are hiring students for internships and for entry-level employment. So the other piece of um, my team's role is to connect with employers across mm-hmm. industries and talk to them about the value of hiring liberal arts students and specifically Holy Cross students for those jobs and internships and, and create vehicles uh, for those students to connect 
with those employers. Excellent. Um, and David, how would you, uh, what can you share about your role? Yeah, my role is to provide several business certificate programs for Holy Cross students who are interested in learning about business in preparation for a business career. Uh, in particular, we offer uh, the Certificate in Business Fundamentals, a Certificate in Finance and Banking, and a Certificate in Entrepreneurship. These three certificates are open to enrollment for students at Holy Cross from any major and any class year. So uh, what we want to do is to combine the liberal arts interest, be they English or chemistry or economics or uh, political science or whatever it is, uh, mm-hmm. they could pursue a business career as long as they prepare themselves and enroll in one of our certificate programs so that they could acquire a basic level of proficiency in business knowledge. So our, our tagline for the program is major in anything and succeed in business. Got it. I love it. Great tagline. Um, and, and again, I am a firm believer that this is really possible, but it's also exciting to see um, a school that's doing this in a, in a very specific way with these certificates. So I think my first question um, for, for you, will, David, is um, will a liberal arts education prepare students for their professional life and, um, and in what ways from your perspective? Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, liberal arts education is a, a great foundational education for uh, lifelong learning and the skills that students learn from liberal arts is portable throughout their professional life. And what I mean by that is that uh, there are several skills that will, uh, will never go away and is always needed as students go through every stage of their professional careers. Uh, by that, I mean skills such as communication skills, uh, and, and that is composed of writing, reading, and speaking. Mm-hmm. The liberal arts subjects will require students to do a lot of reading, do a lot of writing, and do a lot of discussions and seminars and presentations. So those communication skills uh, will be foundational to any career, especially when students go beyond their entry-level jobs which tend to be more technical in nature, but as they go to more management jobs and senior level jobs, it is communication skills that are even more important than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, another, uh, another skill that they, they're going to need is the ability to reference from very different angles uh, of, of the disciplines. So uh, liberal arts students are required to take a variety of courses uh, spanning uh, arts, humanities, math, natural sciences, and social sciences before they could graduate. They cannot just specialize in one topic from freshman year through uh, senior year, but they have to be very broad. And this breadth of knowledge enables them to draw from different ways of looking at the world, and this will be very helpful when they interact with their teammates and clients and investors and and so on in in the professional world. And when they combine their communication skills and their multiple reference uh, sources, uh, they could develop a, a deeper level of critical thinking when they are uh, encountering problems in a professional life that they have to solve. 
right? I, I always say that my English major didn't necessarily prepare me for any one education or one career, but it prepared me by teaching me to read, write, and think. And I have used every one of those skills um, in all of the things that I've done since graduating from college. Um, but Amy, I'm curious if what David is saying, does this support what you hear from employers? Because it's all well and good, right, for us to say that this is what we see students taking away from it, but it's another thing to see if that's actually playing out in um, in the world of employers hiring recent grads. Um, and do you see them valuing the liberal arts graduates? We do. We do. And in fact, the National Association of Colleges and Employers has been working with employers. As we hear in the media, employers are saying these entry-level grads are not career ready. So our professional association, the National Association of Colleges and Employers, surveyed employers and said, all right, so what makes students career ready? And they came up with these eight indicators, their eight competencies um, that fall within the liberal arts. Things like employers Mm -hmm. are saying, we want entry-level hires who have critical thinking and problem-solving skills, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Oral and written communication skills, exactly what David was talking about. The ability to work in teams, um, which you're going to be doing across the curriculum. Um, Leadership skills. Um, and global and intercultural fluency, those were just a few of the, the indicators for career readiness that employers are saying they want. Those are demonstrated and developed across the liberal arts curriculum. Got it. And, and so, um, you know, in, in terms of, um, you know, some of the specific things that they're identifying would be some of those things that you just mentioned, right? The leadership skills, the ability to... Does the ability to write come up at all because I, I, you know, or significantly, I do feel like it's very noticeable if you're interacting with someone who, because so much of our interactions these days takes place via email and, um, and instant messaging and maybe posting on, on boards like Microsoft Teams or Slack and, um, and you, you notice when someone is maybe not as strong a writer. And so I'm curious about what employers, what you hear from employers about that specific skill. Oh, yeah. This is uh, just uh, several weeks ago. I met with a former student of mine. Uh, I used to teach accounting at Holy Cross. And so this is a 2002-2003 grad who is now a senior manager at Ernst & Young in New York City. Uh, he came back to do some interviews and brought a couple of other uh, younger alum back. And I met with him briefly, and we were chatting. And we're talking about the importance of Holy Cross's liberal arts foundation to even their accounting work. And uh, the three of them uh, told me that they're, they're, they're amazed at how well they're able to write, even mm-hmm. in the format of a business memo or business report, where they could actually make an argument and make it persuasively backed mm-hmm. up by, by research as opposed to some of their counterparts graduated from business schools and majored in accounting just four years of straight accounting. How uh, they are, these students are unable to focus on making an, an argument coherently. Yeah, right. And I think... You know, that's really important if you're trying to um, persuade someone to see things from your perspective. And, and 
what is a bigger skill of leadership than that ability, correct? Just um, you need to be able to make your point and get others to um, side with you on that point. That's a that's a big piece of leading people and, and um, engaging them and and getting them involved in seeing the same vision that you, that you have um, for mm-hmm. whatever it is that you're leading them in. Um, Absolutely. Right. And the ability to um, to curate data and information and synthesize it and analyze it. And then as, as David spoke to, to be able to present it um, in a clear and concise and cohesive manner. No employer wants to teach somebody to do that. That's honed over four years. Um, and, and the investment to train and teach that in an entry-level employee is it's just not scalable. It's not yeah. possible. Right, right. Yeah, you need to come in learn knowing how to do that, and that is not something. And, and that's another thing that I see is that if you sometimes, I mean, certainly there are jobs that, you need significant technical training. If you're going to go out and work as an engineer and you're going to design bridges, you need that technical training. You're not going to, you can't wing that and you're not going to learn that on the job. But um, I had a career in public relations before I moved into the education world and I could teach someone how to write a press release. I, in fact, had never written a press release before I got my first PR job, Um, but I could write. So all I really needed to do was understand what the format was that they were looking for and how they wanted it to be presented. In short, all I really needed to do was read a couple of press releases and then apply my writing skills to that format, right? So is that something you're seeing as well, that there are certain things employers are willing to train and then certain things that they just expect you to have? Absolutely. And I would dare say each PR firm wants press releases written to their own distinct and individual formula. Um, so the ability to not only have those core writing skills, but also to understand, misplace your audience, your employer, and pivot and take those, those writing skills um, and use them for each distinct employer, in this case, each PR firm, to fit their formula. They'll train you to do things their way. They yes. want you to come in with those foundational skills. Mm-hmm. Exactly. David, anything you would add there? Yeah, that says it all. In fact, several years ago, we scanned our active alumni database that consists of 33,000-plus entries, and we put in search terms that, uh, to search for the job titles, and we put in all the business-related job titles, uh, and we hit 87%. That means 26,000-plus wow. Holy Cross alumni actively out there are, uh, are in business positions. Right, exactly. They're working out in the world and, and they're working in business and yet none of them had a formal undergraduate business education, correct? They were all liberal arts? That's right. Right. They, yeah. were, they were all liberal arts. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, um, and we're going to go take, we're going to take a quick break, but I think that this brings up a great point, which we'll get to after the break, which is just... You know, what does it mean to work in business? There are, um, I sometimes feel like that term to some people is very narrow. And yet, in truth, it 
it's very expansive. It covers basically almost everything that anybody does out in the world, right? Business. Um, So um, with that in mind, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get to that question around um, talking through some of the jobs, um, careers, and industries that are available to students um, uh, who are graduating with liberal arts degrees. So don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. I am here talking to Amy Murphy, who's Director of Center for Career Development at the College of the Holy Cross, and David Chu, who's Director of Certificate Programs and Pre-Business Advisor at the College of the Holy Cross. And we're talking about liberal arts and how well or not, although obviously, given their roles, we're, we're talking about how well liberal arts prepares you. Um, for a career once you graduate. And um, I think my next question, Amy, would be, what are some of the jobs, careers, and industries um, available to students as liberal arts graduates? We we were talking before the break about, you know, business, and I'm making air quotes here, but it's this very expansive term. 
um, business is so much. It encompasses so much. So um, what are some specific areas that you would identify? Sure. And I would say, honestly, all of them. Um, <laughs> but what, what we've been doing is we look at our outcomes data. So we survey students as, you know, within those six months after they graduate to see what are they doing. And the one thing that we find is over two-thirds, nearly 70% of our graduates between, if we look at this set from the class of 2015 to 2018, our more recent classes, you know, nearly 70% of them are employed full-time in entry-level roles. And then if we look, all right, well, so are they all, you know, in one sector or another? And, and that's not actually the case. We, um, as we look at students who go into financial services, we have as many political science majors entering the, the financial services industry as math majors. Um, and we see 11% of our psychology majors are going into financial services. 11% of our English majors go into the tech sector. So what we find is a, a broad range um, you know, of students from a range of, of majors entering a range of industries. So whether that's healthcare, um, financial services, the tech sector, communications, marketing and advertising, um, our majors span those industries. Excellent. And, and David, same thing. I mean, you're doing some, some certificate programs for students. Are you seeing similarly that they're applying those in different ways out in the business world? Yes, uh, I think the, the important thing to, for liberal arts students to understand is that while the liberal arts education provides a lifelong foundational portable skill, in order, but they still need to connect to their entry-level job by yeah. acquiring a basic level of proficiency in the technical aspect of business. Uh, and, and that is done through the certificate programs which means that they need to know something about marketing, know, um, know something about advertising, PR, communications, finance, accounting, uh, ethics, all those things that are pertinent to their business professional lives. Uh, so they need to do both. Uh, they cannot just say, I'm an English major, I write well, so you should hire me. That's not going to happen. They need to say, I'm an English major, I write well, and I also have skills and experiences through internships and the business certificate programs or whatever courses uh, I've taken to make me proficient in uh, writing things that are relevant and important to the PR company I'm interviewing with and right. show experience in that. Yeah, and I think I think you you raise a good point. I mean, for students who are maybe not going to go to Holy Cross or don't attend a school where they have these certificate programs, which sound very cool and um, and interesting, there are other ways to get that experience. And you mentioned them: internships, um, you know, doing your research, taking classes. Um, you don't have to major in business to take an accounting class if one is available at the college you're attending. That's something you could do if you want to familiarize yourself with that part of business. So if you have an inkling of what you might want to go into, um, supplement your English major, your history major, or your chemistry major with some of those other areas. And then you, and I think you made a a good point, um, and Amy, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, just about 
the the burden is on the student to make that connection for the for the employer, right? Hey, yes, I was an English major and and I'm great at read write reading, writing, and thinking. And here is where I see my skill set fitting and making that connection when you're applying for a specific job. Right, that's absolutely critical. It's absolutely critical for the student to connect the dots between their skills and their experiences and the needs of the employer. Um, And that starts with students understanding the field that they're entering. Um, First, you know, in in perhaps um, more broad sense by researching a field, doing informational interviews, but then doing an internship where they really understand uh, what the job entails, what the industry is like, what the culture of companies are, so they can make that connection between themselves, the skills and experiences they bring to the table, um, and spell it out very clearly for the employer to make that argument, that case that I am ideally and uniquely well-suited for this particular job, company, and industry. And they need to find opportunities to drill their uh, value proposition in articulating the value that they're adding to the company they're interviewing with, which means it would it's very important for students to find uh, career center programs that give them the opportunity to connect the dots and to actually practice the, the, the spiel, so to speak, so they know how to play this game. Right. And actually, that, that brings me to a really uh, um, an important thing for our listeners, most of whom are high school students and, and parents of high school students who are going through the pro- college process. What what kinds of things would you recommend that they do when they, when they are um, just starting college and, and um, in order to start this process that you're talking about? What, you know, where do you get started? Because... It's all well and good for us to say, oh, you need to do these things, but how would, a, how would a student newly arrived on a college campus start this process so that they're working towards this um, all four years while they're in school? Well, the first thing I would look for if I'm a parent or, and, and a student mm-hmm. is uh, check out the career center. <laughs> that is yes. the most important thing in a liberal arts college. Now, in a business school, in a big university, you, know, they, they, you get four years of drilling and you, you will come out knowing nothing but business and they'll, they'll send you into a business uh, job very easily. But in a liberal arts college, because the education is broad and it is uh, preparing you for a variety of professions, I would look for look at the Career Development Center very carefully and see what kind of programs they have, uh, how good these programs are in preparing uh, a student at, from the moment they walk into campus as a, as a first year student to their to to when they graduate from the from the program as a fourth year student, what kind of career preparation program they have. Yeah, and, and it's and, so it's so important for students to and families to look at the career development as a four-year process. The earlier you start, the more time you have to learn and prepare and perhaps pivot. You know, if you do an internship or you do an informational interview with somebody and say, oh, you know, God help me if I had to do that every day, you have time (laughs) to pivot and try something else. And, And that's the beauty of the liberal arts is it does give students that ability to pivot. 
um, because of the foundational skills they've developed. But this isn't a senior year thing. It's not a junior year thing. It's a four-year thing because the students are really focused on identifying and clarifying their interests and then learning about the world of work and then garnering experiences to try those skills on and demonstrate what they have to offer. So by senior year, it's an easy thing. You've either secured a job through your internship or you're out interviewing, talking about the internships and the experiences you've had that make you ideally and uniquely well-suited for whatever job you're going after. Right. And, and Amy, David mentioned in the process of looking at colleges, because um, I think that's great advice for when you're there, and I think really important to keep in mind that's exactly right, because how many times have we envisioned something and thought, oh, that sounds like that would be so much fun to do every day, and then you go and talk to someone and you learn more about what they actually do and think, oh, dear, that sounds terrible. <laughs> and you right. don't want that to be your first job out of college, because now you have a problem where you've sucked, you've committed yourself to something that you really probably need to stay at for at least a year before moving on. And, and that's a year wasted that you could have been spending in a career that you've already vetted and, and said, I think that I'm really going to like this. Um, and you're basing it on some experience. So going back to the idea of looking at the career services um, when you're in the process of looking at colleges, what are um, what are some things that you would look for specifically that you'd want a really great career services uh, office to be doing for students or to be helping students do? Sure, sure. I think, you know, access to employers, you know, in Holy Cross's case, access to alumni, make themselves available to students um, to talk about their industry, their career path, their job, their industry. So students need to have access to the people who are in industry. They need to have those opportunities to do job shadowing, to do informational interviews, um, to do practica, and to do internships so they can, just as you said, you know, really understand by being that fly on the wall, by breathing the air, by interacting with the people in that field to understand, is this a fit for me? And then to have opportunities to get that experience. Um, so, you know, internships, um, you know, what types of, of internship programs, what types of access to employers who are taking students on for internships, that's really important to look at. And just more broadly, what kind of vehicles, programs, opportunities are there for students to learn from the experts, the people who are in industry doing the work that this student may want to do? Yeah. Um, one other thing that I would add is that um, asking questions to try and figure out how available career services is going to be to you, whether you are a freshman or you are a senior. I've had the experience with a couple of my former students going off to some very well-known, highly coveted colleges and universities only to discover in their first um, year that career services really didn't have any time for them as their focus was completely around helping their seniors secure their first job out of college. But since we know, and as you both really articulated, that the process starts, it's a four-year process, 
Um, that was really sort of eye-opening for her to discover. Um, I'm thinking about one place in particular and, um, and for some of these other students to discover that, well, wait a second, you're not really going to help me until I need a job. Well, I, I need help getting an internship so I can figure out if that's something I'm going to want to do for a career or if I want to pivot and focus on something else. So I'm not quite sure how you identify that. Um, and I would love to hear if either of you have any suggestions on that front. But that's that's a big one um, from my perspective. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think looking at how well resourced the Career Center is, what, I mean, it, it sometimes it's just an issue of scale. What's the staff to student ratio? Are, are there enough people to be meeting with students? Um, mm-hmm. And to ask, I mean, that you, students, prospective students and parents should be asking those questions um, of the Career Center staff. How how do you engage first-year students? How can first-year students engage with the center? And what does this engagement look like over four years? Um, and see what you hear from those from the career center staff. Yeah, got it. Uh, here's a here's a random question for both of you. Um, are there any industries that you you've seen that don't hire liberal arts graduates? Yeah. Uh, well, you've already mentioned engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sometimes uh, these the highly uh, narrowly focused technical careers they don't hire liberal arts students uh, engineers computer programmers uh, public accounting firms only hire accounting majors and so uh, it's important to uh, understand what field a student is interested in going into to decide what schools they want to go sure. Amy, anything you would add there, or does that sound pretty? It's a small number of things we just mentioned, or that David just mentioned. So really, we're talking, there aren't that many out there that don't hire liberal arts, but I was just curious if you'd add anything else there. No, that's that's it. It's the highly technical um, fields um, that that are are not going to be available to liberal arts students. You know, so that's it. Engineering, computer programming, accounting, I mean, that really is those highly technical uh, fields. But, but let me add that there are liberal arts colleges that offer major in these fields, even though right. it's within a liberal arts context. So those are colleges that would be worth looking at, too. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, Holy Cross. We have an accounting major, even though we're a liberal arts college, but we, we graduate 20-plus accounting majors Every year, and they place very successfully in the in the, the major accounting firms, and uh, but they're still benefiting from a Holy Cross liberal arts education because they're still required to write and take other courses. Uh, so they're able to write memos and write reports better than than some of the counterparts from just accounting schools alone. Uh, there are there yeah. are liberal arts colleges that offer engineering uh, majors. So so it's not a binary zero or one mutually exclusive situation. Right. And and I guess I would add there that I, I do sometimes, if you look and see who is rising to leadership roles in some of these um, cases, I mean, obviously we couldn't say comprehensively always, but if you, you have the person who is incredibly narrow in their scope and focus in college, um, they might then be somewhat narrow and in their scope when they're in the working world. Whereas if you had broadened 
things a little bit by adding liberal arts to your more technical career that might make you better suited, might, I'm, you know, again, we can never talk in absolutes, but might make you better suited to have a more expansive view once you enter that field. So while you might initially work exclusively in that more technical area, your other skills might more naturally lead you to be considered more of a leader, more of a manager, um, someone who has can take a bigger picture view of the more narrow jobs that others are doing. Because, of course, you always have people in these companies who are not just doing the the nitty gritty day to day, but have the bigger picture in mind. Um, as we wrap up, just any final thoughts, um, Amy? We could start with you and and on on any of this. Sure, I'm. You know, I think my parting words. So, what I I tell parents is, you know, the, the beauty of being. This is what I tell them during summer orientation when their students are just coming in. The beauty of being at a liberal arts institution is that, quite honestly, students have every career available to them once they graduate. That it's highly liberating and it is um, highly anxiety provoking. So it is <laughs> yes. so important. You know, it's almost too much. So it's so important for students during their four years to start early, to go to their career center, to start to identify and clarify their career interests and their career objectives, um, and then seek out opportunities and connect with opportunities for them to learn about those fields, learn about the industries, so they can gain that experience. By senior year, it's, it's easy. Then they're simply... Um, interviewing for jobs, and they have the portfolio, the skills to back it up. Yep, absolutely. David, any final thoughts from you? Yeah, my final thoughts are uh, arithmetic formula here. Uh, Liberal (laughs) arts education plus specific skills acquired outside of uh, the, the liberal arts curriculum through courses or certificate programs plus internship and work experience those three added together equals value. Yep. Um, I think that is absolutely true and perfect way to end. And thank you both so much for your time today. I think and hope that this was a really um, informative uh, uh, segment that hopefully helps people to at least appreciate um, that liberal arts does have real value, even in a, as we start to get a little bit more narrowly focused in and how we want education to prepare our students or to prepare ourselves for a career. So I want to thank you both so much for your time. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us on. Okay, great. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back to talk about real estate and financial aid. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, 
how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes, Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm excited to welcome my colleague, Tara Piantanita Kelly, who's a former financial aid officer at a number of different colleges, including Rochester Institute of Technology and Menlo College, uh, and has also worked as a financial aid um, consultant uh, and um, knows a lot about this stuff. So welcome to the show today, Tara. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So we are talking about real estate in the financial financial aid process. And um, I have a bunch of questions for you. And I wanted to share with our listeners that um, I'm sure it's going to show in the enthusiasm of her delivery. But this is something that Tara knows a lot about and has got a lot of thoughts about. And, um, and I'm excited to have her share them with you today. And I think um, my first question is a pretty basic one, which is, what does real estate have to do with financial aid? What's the connection? Oh, well, um, one of the things that financial aid applications do is they take a look at the family's income and assets to determine, you know, what the family can afford to pay for college for the upcoming year. And, of course, some real estate is considered an asset uh, on those forms that the, the family's primary residence, the home that they live in, that's excluded from the federal financial aid form. Um, same thing for, you know, small family-owned businesses and family farms. But uh, 
a second home or rental properties, uh, those are considered, uh, you know, investments and they're parental assets. And so those are included uh, uh, as an asset on the, the financial aid forms. All right. So in short, they're going to ask you about it and it's going to, it's going to be part of that, those forms. Um, so you mentioned net worth. What is, what does that mean? Or what does it mean when we talk about net worth? So the, the way that the question is asked on the, the facet says, you know, tell us the, the net worth of your, you know, your property. And what they're really asking is, what they want to know is, what is the current value of that property minus any kind of debt or mortgage that you have on that property? So that, that would be the net worth. And the, sometimes families are like, well, I, how do I know what my, my property is worth? So I'll, I'll give you um, the website that I go to when I'm trying to determine property value. And uh, it, I'm, we're not affiliated with them or anything like that, but uh, it's called epraisal.com. And it will get, you put in the address and it will tell you what uh, two different estimates of what the value is worth, the epraisal uh, estimate and the Zillow estimate. Um, so you can determine what the value is. And then you can also, I mean, you should know what your mortgage balance is. The difference between those two is the equity or the net worth of that particular property. Right. Which is a little tricky, right? Because there is certainly there are no guarantees that you could sell that property um, at the appraisal amount. But for lack of any better way to do it, that's really kind of the only way to do it. Right? Exactly. 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 Yeah. yeah. Okay. So... What I heard from you in the earlier piece was that the FAFSA does not ask about um, or they exclude the family's primary residence. Um, but so what does that mean that if a family doesn't own any other real estate other than their primary residence, um, that they really don't need to think about this? Um Maybe and maybe not, because, yes, the FAFSA excludes the primary residence as an asset, but there's an additional financial aid application called the the CSS profile. About 300 schools use that one, and that form does ask about the equity in the family's primary residence. So, um, you know, so if the family owns no other real estate other than the home that they live in and the student is only applying to schools that require the FAFSA, then yes, they probably don't need to worry about this. But if the student is applying to a school that requires that CSS profile form, then yeah, they, the equity in the family's primary residence could be counted as an asset um, for those schools that use that form. Got it. And then in turn, decrease the family's eligibility um, for need-based financial aid at any rate. Um, so is there something that families with real estate can do so that their real estate investments won't hurt um, the family's potential to get financial aid? Um, it's a possibility. So, and oftentimes when I'm having a discussion with a family, the first thing they say is, you know, I, I, I have some, these assets and I need to move them around so that we'll qualify for some more financial aid. And I said, oh, okay, well, we can definitely talk about that. But before you do anything like that, let's, let's talk about your income first, because that is a, is a much larger driver of the expected family contribution. So, you know, if your income already puts you out of range for need-based aid, then moving your assets around isn't going to make a difference at all. So don't even bother. Um, but another thing to consider is that, uh, you know, parental assets are assessed at only between 4 and 6%. So, you know, let's say you do have some, some real estate that is counting, you know, as an asset against you. Uh, and let's say you have $50,000 in equity in that. That $50,000 is only going to increase the student's 
expected family contribution by between two and three thousand dollars. So it's just not that much of a, of a deal. But but if the family does have some significant real estate holdings um, and it's counting against them for need based financial aid. Uh, one thing that they can do to improve their financial aid eligibility is to decrease the equity in the real estate by either, you know, borrowing against it or selling it. So, you know, they could do a cash out refinance or they could do a, you know, home equity line of credit and then use the proceeds to either improve the property or to maybe pay down some consumer debt or, or, or to pay for college. Um, you know, that would reduce the assets and increase the student's eligibility for need-based aid. But if the family just pulled money out of the property and then put the money in the bank, that's not going to accomplish anything because they simply moved the asset from one place to another. Exactly. Yes. So um, also, and I should say that there are some new tax provisions related to pulling equity out of a property. So, you know, if this is something you're considering doing, be sure to talk to a tax professional before, you know, so that you know all the ins and outs before you make any decisions. And then I know you mentioned earlier the CSS profile, but um, would these help with if you're if it's a school that's a CSS profile school, or will this not really help at all, or or do, do these opportunities help less at a CSS profile school? Um, well, it you know it it should still help. Uh, you know, if so, if the school sees that the family has some real estate holdings and um, they they think that the maybe the family has um, put a, a too low of a figure on what the, the property is worth or more the you know too low of what they think the equity is um, they can always ask about that and the family could say essentially just this yes last year we had this much equity in it but we have less equity now because we pulled some out and we use that to da 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 you know pay pay for something or pay down something um, if they say you know we pulled it out and went on an around the world cruise then you know the the school might be like, eh, no, I, that's, you know, we're not going to consider that. But if, if you pulled it out and used it for the paper college or, or to, you know, to improve the property, then, yeah, they, it can, that can still um, have a, a you know, positive impact on the, the family's expected family contribution and eligibility. Got it. Okay, so that's helpful. What if the real estate that the family owns isn't in their name? So what if it's held in an LLC or a corporation owned by the family or it's owned jointly with someone else? That's actually a really interesting one because we actually have a joint ownership of some real estate with my brother-in-law. So I'm particularly interested in this. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Well, um, one of the things that, that people used to say is, you know, if it's, it's asking about my, um, you know, my assets and I don't own this because it's in an LLC, the LLC owns it, um, and I'm just a managing member of the LLC. So technically, you know, I don't have to put this down uh, as an asset for me. And the Department of Ed, it, it's a little bit sticky, but the, the guidance from the Department of Ed is that, you know, if it's held in an LLC and you are the man, you own the LLC, and then yeah, you're still going to have to list the assets in that and LLC. You own it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, because you own it. Now, if if the LLC, you know, is a business that actually does something other than just holding real estate within it, um, then you might have a, a better claim to exclude that asset if if you're doing, let's say, property management or something else. The business performs some additional function other than just as a holding place, then, then you might be able to talk to the school and say, I think we, sh- we can exclude this because now it, it is a, we would consider this a small family-owned business and those business assets are excluded from the, uh, from the you know, calculation. So there's 
some wiggle room there, maybe, if you do something else other than just hold it in an LLC. Um, but as far as something that's jointly owned, then you you have to put down your portion of the equity. So you would take a look at, let's say, you know, you own this property with your uh, brother-in-law. Let's say the entire mm-hmm. property is worth $500,000 and the, the there's a $200,000 mortgage on it. So the equity in the property is $300,000. And if you own half of the property and they own half of the property, then your percentage would be, you know, be, what, $150,000 would be your half of the equity in that property. And that's what you would put down. Got it. For the record, it's nowhere near worth that kind of money. But just, <laughs> I was hoping, a, I was keeping my fingers crossed for you. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, but no, it's not. But that's um, uh, that is actually super helpful and um, personally very interesting to me. So thank you. Um, yeah, absolutely. How will a family know whether their real estate affects their eligibility for financial aid at a school? Right. So you've you've shared some. You know, well, you could try this and and what ifs and hypotheticals. So, how do you anticipate? How will you know? Ah, okay. There's a couple of things that um, families can do. The first is they can just run an expected family contribution calculator. That you can find that right on the College Board's website, CollegeBoard.org. Look for expected family contribution calculator. It will ask, you know, do you want to run the FM or the IM or both? And what they're saying is. Do you want to run the federal methodology calculation that the FAFSA does or the institutional methodology calculation that the CSS profile does, or do you want to run both? So I would say run both. Um, and then uh, it will ask, you know, all of the information and it will spit out this magic number, this expected family contribution. I, I would recommend running the calculator at least two times. One time using all of the information as it currently is see what that expected family contribution is, and then go back and run the calculation but exclude that real estate equity um, and see what that expected family contribution is. Um, Then you'll be able to compare that expected family contribution to the cost at the schools that you're looking at and see if it doesn't make a difference or not. You know, if the first calculate, you know, if the calculation without the real estate asset is still too high to get any need-based aid at that particular school, yeah, and it doesn't. There's nothing really right. that you need to do. The the real estate isn't affecting it. It's the income. So you could they could either run the expected family contribution calculator, or they can also run specific schools net price calculators. Essentially, doing the exact same thing: putting in the information accurate the first time to see what the results are, and then putting in the information with no none of the real estate equity to see if it makes a difference. Got it. Great advice. And um, I think your point is a really great one. I want to highlight it, which is if it doesn't make a difference, then really don't worry about the real estate because it's not the thing that's impacting your uh, your consideration for financial aid. Um, final question for you, especially we've talked a lot about how it could impact. And, and in most cases, we're talking about how it could impact it negatively. Are there any benefits to having real estate when it comes to paying for college? Oh, oh, absolutely. So uh, I'll, I'll give you my, my personal example. Um, when my daughter was in college, um, and this is before I remarried, and I, I had some of my own rental properties, but with the depreciation on my rental properties, uh, the um, it, it reduced my taxable income to the point that, you know, we actually got a really good financial aid award <laughs> because of that, because a lot of my, you know, my income um, was... Uh, um, I got to take all those deductions. So anyway, it was we actually got a really good uh, financial aid award when when that happened. So yeah, there there's definitely that. And then also we use 
the, uh, some of our rental properties as a way to help pay for college. Like, you yeah. know, you can, if you, if you have positive cash flow on a rental property, then you can borrow, let's say, borrow a federal parent plus loan and use the, you know, positive cash flow from the rental property to make those payments on the, the, you know, parent plus loan. So there's lots of, you know, positives for, for real estate, uh, as far as it goes for paying for college or saving for college or, uh, you know, anything to do with, with college. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that's really helpful. And I appreciate all the the information, like I said, personally enlightening for me, which is always great. Um, Thanks so much for joining us today, Tara. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, uh, thanks to Tara and to Amy and David and um, our guests today. And uh, hopefully you all found this as helpful as I did. Um, Next week, Sally is hosting. Um, We are talking about the financial aid process for business owners. And Tara, you're coming back to talk about that. Uh, So (laughs) that should be a good one. Um, We're also going to be talking about institutional priorities and how those impact admissions. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the term institutional priorities, it's just you have a college or university and they have their specific priorities and goals and and how those priorities and goals can impact the admissions process and the decisions that different schools are making. Um, And so that one should be very interesting. We're also going to be talking about how to evaluate where you are and what you need to do with regards to standardized testing. And we're specifically going to be talking um, to rising seniors to help those students figure out, okay, am I done with testing? What more do I need to plan for? How do I look at the scores I've already received and determine that? So I'll be talking more about that, or Sally is anyway, because I won't be here. Um, If you have questions for us, you know that we do our listener Q&A segments um, frequently. Send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Again, it's gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.